Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. As we ease on down the creek, the water's full of surprises. So we slide on down the creek, we find a really good hole. Where's the scaredy cat group at? I mean the fat cats. I got a little beaver hole I want you guys to fill up. This is a beaver hole with a small opening that spreads out wide to the den. The fish could be anywhere back in there, so you'll need to use your legs to scoop them out and grab them. Hold it, hold it, hold it. So the fish turns around for me in the hole. He starts coming out and I'm able to keep him so that Skipper can go in and actually string the fish. You got it? Right here, right here. Wrap it, wrap it right. good. Tom, he gets the, the, the privilege of pulling the stringer out with the fish onto it. <laughs> out and he's swinging this fish around like it's gonna merry-go-round. <laughs> I'm pulling this fish out and it's flopping around all over the place and I have to show it who's mad. <laughs> Holy smokes. Tom, kiss it for good luck. Tom, <laughs> this fish is pretty easy stuff, eh? Oh, so easy. Let's hear from Pastor Tom. That was impressive uh, fish wrangling there. Hey, I want to welcome you to Big Fish. In fact, we got to do this, Morristown. Uh, let's put our hands together. We got our brothers and sisters in Nutley, New Brunswick. Welcome them to joining us on the experience today. Glad you guys are here uh, for our, it's kind of our redneck reality sermon series, okay, uh, that we're calling Big Fish. In case you didn't miss it, uh, Pastor Tom and I took this trip to southern Oklahoma to do a little hillbilly hand fishing this summer. We figured it would be perfect research for the story of Jonah. We want to see what it's like to get swallowed by a big fish, literally. And uh, Skipper and Jackson, those were our hillbilly hosts. They said they'd never seen a catfish spun around like that before. It's like a catfish rodeo. But it was good fun as uh, Tom and I got schooled by our hillbilly friends. Uh, interestingly enough, Skipper himself, kind of the star of the show, he is a Christian. And he said, my life verse comes from Jonah 1.17. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. That's his life verse. And Skipper has been, he's been noodling since he was four years old. It's over 40 years. It's a family tradition for them, a passion. Uh, his first fish that he caught was at four years old. And the largest he caught was 111 pounds. I want you to imagine that, okay? That's like bigger than like an eighth grader, okay? It's incredible. We, we, we didn't catch any of that size on our, our trip. Tom caught, I think, about a 20-pounder. Uh, mine was a little bit smaller than that. Uh, but it's a challenge, uh, either way, because the idea is you stick your hands and feet into this abandoned beaver hole, uh, which are up to 10 feet deep. It's, it's a little bit scary, where this mama catfish has laid her eggs. It's where they spawn in the spring. And the male fish are the babysitters. The daddy fish sits there protecting the eggs. And so when you stick your hand or your foot in there, bam, it's freaky, okay? It really, it, you, it's like you don't know how big the fish is, how hard it's going to bite. For the 30-pounders, it feels like you're getting your hand slammed in a car door. That's what it's like. Uh, the blue cats are the most aggressive ones, and when they hit you, you can actually hear it underwater. You hear, whoop, man, they'll lot you up, as Skipper says. 
anyway, it was an experience that took us out of our comfort zone. Uh, when we flew back, I don't think I've ever been that excited to see Newark Airport. I was like, oh, you know. The, the Meadowlands are like the, co- you know, they're the color of the, the dirty water in Oklahoma. It's amazing. Um, and when we first arrived, I have to be honest, we, we, were, we looked at each other and we were like, we should go back the other way. Um, which is kind of fitting because that's exactly how the story of Jonah begins, if you remember this. In fact, you can turn there in your Bible. Why don't you do that? All your campuses open up to page 644. We looked at this last week. If you missed it, quick review. If you remember, the word of the Lord, it says, came to Jonah. He was a prophet. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Nineveh was the biggest, baddest city in the ancient world. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the original terrorists of the Middle East. These were people legendary for their wickedness and their violence. And the Lord actually said, you know what, Jonah, I want you to go preach to these godless people because I'm going to destroy them if they don't change their ways. And Jonah was like, "Uh, why don't you just go ahead and destroy them? (laughs) That would be fine by me. He hated the Ninevites. They were the sworn enemy of God's people Israel, and Jonah didn't want to go and actually help his enemy. And what we learned is that actually at some point in your adventure of walking with God, God will ask you to do something you don't want to do. At some point in every Christian's spiritual journey, he's going to give you a, a mission or an assignment and tell you to do something that's scary or difficult or, or kind of out of your comfort zone. He'll tell you to go, you know, reach out to your ex and make peace with him or her. Or that friend who stabbed you in, your, in, in the back, you know. He'll, he'll tell you to, to stop living together and honor God with sexual boundaries. Or you'll get this sense that he wants you to, you know, move or to change jobs. And the question is, even if it's not something that you naturally choose, are you willing to trust it's part of God's larger plan and purpose for your life? In Jonah's case, God said, I want you to go. And Jonah said, no, I ain't going. Go east, young man. Jonah went west to Tarshish. Verse 3 says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. This was southern Spain, by the way. He found a ship bound for that port and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. That's always an option. Whenever God tells you to do something that's scary or difficult or out of your comfort zone, Jonah shows us you can always find a boat sailing in another direction. You can always punch a ticket for, for Tarshish or, and run from God's call on your life. I had someone email me after last week's message, and I was curious because the subject line said, from Jonah's dad. Listen to this. It said, Pastor Tim, I had to hold back tears on Sunday as you described Jonah's tragic decision to run from God. My son Blank is a runner, and he has caused our family no small amount of heartache. To keep it short, 18 months ago, he dropped out of college, moved back home, picked up with his local friends. He's drifted for a year or so, drinking, partying, working a variety of dead-end jobs, until we finally put our foot down and said he needed to take responsibility and turn his life around. Well, we were elated when he agreed to come to church with us, but it was only superficial. Two weeks ago, he flew to San Diego with a friend where he's now crashing with his girlfriend. The tragedy is my son was once a follower of Christ. He was baptized in the church, but he's drifted throughout his 20s and is now in full flight mode. Needless to say, his mother and I are heartbroken. Our son is smart, funny. He has so much potential to be used by God, but we feel powerless to reach him. He's lost, and so are we. Any suggestions? Sincerely, Jonah's dad. Any parent with a prodigal son or daughter can identify this. We we all know somebody, and maybe in your immediate family or at school or at work, who at one point had a calling from God on their life, but either drifted 
at some point along the way or just kind of outright ran the other way. They punched a ticket for Tarshish or San Diego, both are sunny spots. In fact, maybe that's your story. Maybe it's not as dramatic, but there's an, an area of your life that you know is out of line with God's truth. Not like totally this way. It's not like a, a 180, but it's like sort of like maybe this or just a little bit off. And the question is, you're debating whether or not do I obey God? Do I take responsibility and bring this part of my life into line with God's truth? Or do I go the other way? You, you follow God in 95% of everything you do, just not this 5%, Lord. Don't mess up my relationship with her or, or him. Or I'll, I'll dedicate my family to you, but not my, my finances. That's personal. I don't want God messing with my business or my money or my career. We all have these areas where God calls us to obedience, but we either balk or we bolt. We run. The Jonah in all of us. See, this is a story we learned last week about sin and grace. If you recall, real easy definition, sin is whenever we run from God, but grace is God giving chase. We run, God chases. Even when we flee in the totally opposite direction from God and others give up on us, your heavenly father never stops pursuing you with his love and mercy, hoping we'll come to our senses, actually turn from our path of self-destruction and return home. No matter how far we run from God, God passionately pursues us. That's the truth of the gospel. In fact, if you continue on your self-destructive path like Jonah did at some point, God may send a storm to grab your attention. That's exactly what happens with Jonah. First teaching point today, if you're taking notes. Let's pick up at verse 4, read the rest of chapter 1. Here we are. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. They were freaking out. Each cried out to his own God, small g. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. It's like rolling dice, like a Ouija board. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And you can just pause there for a moment. Because in the story of Jonah, we all focus on the great fish. But at the center of this story is a storm. A great wind in the sea comes up. It says this violent weather that threatens to sink the entire boat. Most commentators agree this is probably a hurricane, okay? If you've ever watched that reality show, have you ever seen Deadliest Catch? And those fishermen in the Bering Sea, they're, they're like crab, uh, you know, catchers. 40-foot waves breaking over the bows of the deck, washing people overboard. It's like that. And the biblical truth is this, guys. Any time we run from God, there's a storm cloud that follows us. Sin always has a storm cloud attached to it. This is, this is going to click for some of you in a moment. You're going to be like, oh, that explains what's going on in my life right now. Maybe, maybe you've come into, into uh, uh, something in your life that, that's dark, has happened recently, you know, or, or threatening, or it's kind of hanging over your head. It's very challenging or painful circumstances you're facing. 
your, your business is tanking, your, your relationship has, is about to break up like the boat, or you're drowning in debt, whatever it is. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, in an attempt to intercept our self-destructive behavior, God will allow a storm to get your attention. That's what grace is. It's when God actually intercepts your path of self-destruction to bring you back. A few years ago, I was talking with a guy uh, who was wrestling with uh, pornography addiction. Uh, he wouldn't call it that. That was actually kind of part of the problem. Because um, he always said, hey, it's not a big deal. Every man, you know, struggles with this. And he's right. It, it's every man's battle. That includes pastors. Um, but it was very interesting because as we talked about it, um, he's like, it kind of moved from this, like, occasional slip-up to this weekly thing to kind of a daily habit. He, he's, uh, you know, he travels a lot, under stress, et cetera. And it was this source of shame for him. And that's why we were talking. And but he kind of kept it hidden. This was the area that was under wraps. He didn't want anyone to know. He's a family guy, great wife, his kids, all that. Everything else is in order. Bottom line is he calls me one afternoon, and he's like in a total panic. There was this fear in his voice. Because he got a promotion at work, which I'm like, well, that's great news. The problem is this. They gave him a new computer, and he had to turn in his old one to the IT department. And as the IT department was wiping his laptop, they came across his cache of porn, his cookies and his browser history, of all the hundreds of sites he's visited over the years. And his supervisor called him in and fired him on the spot. And he calls me, and he's in a panic. He's actually weeping. He's crying on the phone because the fallout was so intense. Um, just weeks before, I, like, imagine this, okay, relationally. Weeks before, he and his wife were literally <laughs> popping champagne to celebrate his promotion. And then 10 days later, he has to go home and tell her he lost his job because of his addiction. That's how it works with sin. We can run from God or harbor a little part of our life that's not in line with his truth. And the consequences may not be immediate or obvious at first. But every sin has like a storm cloud attached to it. And eventually, the hurricane hits. And the truth is, sometimes God will allow a storm to grab your attention, like he did with my friend. And this could be one of the scariest moments in your spiritual journey walking with Christ. Because suddenly, you're in danger of losing everything around you that's precious. You, look at the text. You notice something that happens with Jonah? When the storm first hits, Jonah is oblivious to its impact. All the other sailors on the ship are fearing. They're screaming. They're crying out. They're scared for their lives. And where's Jonah? Look at the text. What's Jonah doing? He's below deck in a deep sleep. He's like... He's got a CPAP on, okay? He's oblivious that everybody around him is about to drown. And that's an illustration of a very painful truth that people who run from God inevitably hurt people who are closest to them. Rebellion is never victimless. When my friend's wife found out that what he'd been doing, she was obviously distraught. She was in tears, a lot of heartache, anger. Because the whole family, obviously, it affects, it throws them into chaos. I mean, what do you tell your kids? You know, I lost, I lost my job. Why did daddy lose his job? I thought he was. And then you have to, yeah, how do you? One of his rationalizations was that this is a personal area. It, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody. So what? Rebellion is never victimless. Mark this. People who run from God inevitably impact the people around them, even if they're oblivious to it. See, the first consequence is that you actually you lose sight of God when you run from him. But the second is you lose sight of the others around you and the impact you're having. This little deal is my business, no one else's. And you can rationalize that until the hurricane hits and there's collateral damage. Those you love actually get their worlds rocked. 
Maybe you're in a storm today right now because somebody close to you is rebelling, but you're actually suffering the consequences. I, I am so sorry for that because that that's not fair. It's actually not God's desire that you would suffer because of someone else's sin. But I want to give you a word of hope and encourage you with this thought. Even in the middle of this storm, God's grace is still at work. There's actually a purpose behind the pain. So your relationship falls apart or your career collapses or your health declines or your addiction gets exposed. And this is where some people go, oh, I knew it. That's what I don't like about God. He's punitive. That's what I hate about religion. The moment you step out of line, God just kind of sends a storm to whack you and punish you. You'd be missing the larger point of Jonah's story. God in his love and grace will sometimes allow storms into your life not to pay you back, but to what? To bring you back. I'm going to say this again because this can change your entire perspective on what's happening in your life right now. The storm is not to pay you back, but to bring you back. It's the opposite of revenge or punishment. It's grace. The storm is a fierce gift. Grace is God saying, I actually love my child so much, I am going to intercept his path of self-destruction before he does any more damage. That's what he does with Jonah. This storm was meant to reclaim Jonah and bring him back to God's plan and purposes for his life. And the question is, why does it take a storm? <laughs> because what happens when you hit a storm? I've never had a storm in a boat, but man, I get a little freaky when I'm flying and I hit turbulence. And all of a sudden, the captain's like, we're going to have a little bit of turbulence, and you hear the rock, and all of a sudden, I get real, real religious. Oh, Lord Jesus, you could be with me now, right now, but it's like... I get, because I'm 30,000 feet in the air and I have no control whatsoever. So the illusion of control that I have in my day-to-day -day life all of a sudden gets exposed. I actually am totally out of control in my life. I'm actually quite helpless. Sometimes God sends a storm to just remind us that you are not God. There's an illusion that you're a self-made man or a self-made woman operating independently and kind of making decisions for your life in a vacuum that lead this way or that way. And God's like, that's not true at all. That's smoke and mirrors. You are actually, according to the Bible, a fragile and very, very, very frail creature who is designed to draw life from God. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do what? Nothing. So when we take a boat that goes off course, sometimes God will allow a storm to get our attention to reveal how dependent we really are and in desperate need of him. Tim Keller calls this, he calls grace a tender violence. I like that. He's like, it's something that seems like it may kill you, but it's really a sign of God's tender love and care. And guys, only parents understand this. This is like the highest kind of love a father can have for his child. Sometimes, out of his love and his grace, God lets the consequences play out. Sometimes he lets the, the pain be exaggerated or the scope of the problem get big so he can get our attention and actually acknowledge how out of control our life really is so that we'll have no other choice but to cry out in need for a savior. The storm is a gift. Could you, could you those of you who are facing a storm right now in your life, could you entertain the thought that this could actually be a gift from God? A father intercepting a path that's bound for self-destruction before you do more damage or, or that person in your life does more damage to those around them. Have you ever watched that show? Uh, it's a reality show, Intervention. It's on A&E. Pretty, pretty intense TV show about addicts, alcohol, prescription drugs, meth, heroin, whatever. The show, basically, it's a reality show, very, very simple. Um, it's, it's about addicts who are confronted by their family and given an ultimatum. 
The ultimatum is simple. Go into rehab today, immediately, or face the consequences. And it's fascinating because inevitably the addicts resist. Like, you watch a show and you're like, oh my gosh, this person like lost all their teeth, all their money. They're like living on the street. And they're like, I'm not an addict. There's no issue. Or they get very angry and self-righteous. Like, who are you to judge me? Oh, you have everything together? And then when the family intervenes, they start blaming others. Well, you made me do this. She's the one who da-da-da-da-da-da. Or they simply stonewall. They just sit there like, I, I don't, like, it's bouncing off of me. But it's not until they're given a painful ultimatum. We're actually going to take custody of your kids and give them over to Dyfus. We're going to cut off contact. We're going to freeze your income. We're going to foreclose on your home. We're going to issue that warrant. It's not until the people who love them the most have the courage to do something that at first seems cruel and painful that they're actually willing to face their true condition how out of control the addicts really are. And then they actually acknowledge the depth of their depravity, and it's dark. Every storm cloud is dark, but mark this. It's not meant to pay you back, but to bring you back. It's out of love. It's a gift. It's a grace. It's a sign of true fatherly love. That's what happens to Jonah. God allows a storm in his life out of love, and Jonah sleeps through it. <laughs> Until it finally gets so intense, he can't ignore it any longer. Verse 11 says this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, Jonah says, and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. If you're facing a crisis in some area of your life today, my question to, be, to you would simply be, could you allow, could, would, would it make any difference to know that this storm was really a gift? A tender violence that your heavenly father is permitting, not to pay you back, but to draw you back. That this too is part of his sovereign and loving plan. It's hard for us to understand and get our minds around. We had a, uh, we had a family dog named uh, Percy. He's a sweet boy, Vishla, beautiful dog. Around 11 years old, our our, our family dog, Percy, developed a, like a blood disease, like an immune disorder. And the vet um, gave us pills. Percy had to take one pill every day. And I became the pill giver. The only problem is that Percy didn't like pills. So I would do, you guys know who own dogs or pets, I wrapped it in cheese. Because dogs are like human. If it has cheese, they're going to eat it no matter what, right? I'd wrap it in cheese. i go, come here, boy, come here, boy. You know, and you're like, oh. i take the pill and go, and he'd spit the pill out the side of his mouth. I'm like, that's amazing. He would actually ingest all the cheese, spit the pill. So then I would wrap it in salami, you know, and he'd try it out. Hey, come here, boy. And come out the side. He somehow would eat whatever I wrapped the pill in and spit out the pill. And so by the end of the first week, I'm sorry, animal people are not going to like me. At the end of the first week, it came down to this. I'd walk into the kitchen with that bottle of pills, and Percy would back up into the corner. And like, come here, boy. Come here. He's like, no, no. He'd break right, break left. And I would grab him around the neck by the collar and throttle him. It was like I was riding like a little pony. And hold him like this and open his mouth like this and take the pill wrapped in cheese and force it to the back of his throat where he'd go, ah, ah, ah. it looked like I was killing him. Until he's first going, ah, ah, swallow. Like Colleen would be like, what are you doing? And I often thought in this moment, what was Percy thinking? I'm thinking that dog was thinking, 
I thought you loved me. Why are you trying to kill me? What did I do to you? That was Percy's perspective, an animal to his owner, that I was turning on him, that I was being cruel. Why would he do this? He didn't understand I'm doing it because if he doesn't take this, he'll die. I was doing it because I loved him. I was doing it because I realized he'll be dead if he doesn't take these pills. That's how it is from God's perspective. At times, you'll come into a circumstance that seems very, very cruel. You're being force-fed, and you say, I don't understand why God would allow this. This is painful. It seems unnecessary. I don't know. I, I can't understand why, why, what he's thinking. Trying to understand the mind of God is like an ant trying to understand the Internet. What? It's got, let's be honest. When a storm comes into our lives, our prayers are typically just get rid of the storm. God, I'm getting crushed. I'm about to go under. Stop the hurricane. Calm the wind. But guess what, guys? Those are superficial prayers. God wants deep faith, not surface faith. True repentance is not just get rid of the storm, God. That's how most people pray. True repentance is not being sorry about what's happening to you. That's what the sailors had. They said, what should we do to you to make the, sto the storm stop for us? You notice that? But Jonah doesn't actually put the blame on other people. He doesn't even focus on the storm per se. Rather, he turns his focus back to God. He actually says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. In other words, Jonah shifts his focus from his circumstance to his creator. He actually begins praying because he realizes, I am so sorry about how self-centered I've become. I've made this about me, not about God's purposes for my life. That's the key to repentance, guys. It's not just sadness that this is happening to you. All of a sudden you realize, I've been running from God and hurting people around me. And now pricked by the pain of that, you actually offer no excuses. You're done with rationalizations, but you simply take responsibility. You want, you know, we talk about repentance in the church a lot. You want to hear what real repentance sounds like? Listen to Jonah. Let Jonah teach you. Pick who? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that. Let's say this together, all campuses. It is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. It's my fault. Jonas says, there is no one to blame but me. This is so rare in our culture because nobody wants to take responsibilities nowadays. We have reasons for everything under the sun. Well, you got to understand, Tim, I did what I did because you, if, you, if you knew she, what she did to me, I had no choice. Or, well, I did that, but you know what? It's really my parents' fault. He wasn't there, and they, they kind of raised me this way. I just, that's not repentance, Repentance is when you actually own your sin and take responsibility for what you've done, and you say, I got actually nobody to blame, God, but me. And you're left with no choice but to throw yourself actually on the mercy of God. Would you be merciful for a bumbling, failing runner like me? See, Jonah doesn't say, throw me into the sea. I'm awful. I deserve to die. He throws himself into the sea and says, God, save me in the storm. He's finally trusting in grace, believing that God doesn't accept him based on his good record, but in the middle of the storm, there's love under the waves, that there's grace, even when the circumstances happen that capsize your life, there'll be something there big enough and deep enough to catch him. It's called God's grace. 
You guys remember, this had to happen for Jonah. This is the thing. Sometimes, unless we're in a storm, we can't fulfill God's mission. Jonah couldn't preach to the Ninevites because he didn't believe in grace. He, he, a lot of believers, like, they, under, they, they intellectually understand grace. It hits their head, but 18 inches to their heart, it's never touched it. Jonah had to go through this and run so that he could believe that God's grace was deep enough for the Ninevites. He actually had to experience this for himself. See, you can be a Ninevite openly hostile towards God or an insider like Jonah who strays just a little, sin a little, sin a lot. It doesn't matter. We all need grace. We know intuitively our sins need to be paid for. And true repentance is, means that we throw ourselves into the storm on the mercy of God, believing there's love under the waves. That no matter how, how, how far you've run from God, you can never outrun God. Remember we talked about this last week? how deep his grace is, how wide his mercy is. Jonah says, throw me overboard, and instead, look at this, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Just stop there, by the way. Did you catch the irony? <laughs> These pagan sailors wind up converting <laughs> Because of Jonah's sin. <laughs> At the beginning, they, they, they were praying to their little God, but now all of a sudden they're praying to the Lord God of Israel. It's amazing. God gets what he wants no matter what. And it says, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. God wanted Jonah to preach so he could save the Ninevites. Jonah said, nope. But God goes and saves them anyway. <laughs> Even when you, when you go outside of God's purposes, he's like, my will is going to prevail. It's just a question of whether you want to be in my will or not. So Jonah steps into the will of God, that is, into the center of the storm. He allows himself to be thrown in the ocean in the middle of a hurricane. And this is the moment in the show where you say, wow, it can't get any worse than this. Do, 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 do. But the Lord provided a what? A great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. The end of chapter one. This is the verse that we all remember from Sunday school. Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. Notice it doesn't say whale, it just says great fish. I know this is getting heavy, give you a little joke. One time a little girl asked her Sunday school teacher, about the Jonah story. She said, you know, was it a real whale? And uh, her Sunday school teacher said, well, it's physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human. Their throat is too small. So the little girl said, yeah, but the Bible says that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And, and the teacher says, well, you, you can't take that literally. And the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And her teacher said, well, what if Jonah goes to hell? And the little girl said, then you ask him. The, <laughs> Don't miss the point. <laughs> to argue about the fish, was it a whale? Could it scientifically happen? You'd be missing the whole point of the prophet Jonah. Did you notice the key word in verse 17? It says, but the Lord, what? He provided a great fish. Note it doesn't say, the Lord sent along a killer mako shark to gnash Jonah to pieces and pay him back for all the wickedness he'd done. No. It actually says God provided something that probably looked like it was about to kill him, but was actually meant to save him. 
And this is a word of hope for anyone facing a storm today, or if you feel like you're about to go under. What seems like it will kill you, God can use to save you. When Pastor Tom and I were in Oklahoma, I'll be honest, we, we were scared. <laughs> we are like, if the fish don't kill us, the water moccasins will. And uh, one fish we caught was about 30 pounds, and it was ugly um, because we were like, do they all look like this? It's like, no. This one had the this, this skin or the scales were kind of ripped around its head, and then underneath its jaw, it's like it had a ring around it, this 30-pounder. And Skipper said, he said, that's because it probably was being swallowed by a bigger fish. We're like, What? He goes, probably about a 70-pounder catfish, went up and whoop, grabbed him, tried to swallow him, and they fought it out for 24 hours or more. That's why he's got all the skin rubbed off. And we're like, so this 30-pound fish was in a 70-pound fish? He's like, oh, yeah, but it wriggled out. Now the fight's out of it. We'll just eat it. And um, that freaked me out, okay? That freaked me out a little bit. It actually took me back to college in a spring break incident that my wife and I had. Um, Colleen, my wife is afraid of the water, okay? This is, this is give her secrets away. And her grandfather lives in Fort Myers. And so we went down there one spring break during college, and he would take us water skiing. And, and since she's afraid of the water, Colleen would sit on the back of the boat, and I would get in the water, and, 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 and Poppy, Grandpa, would, you know, uh, drive the boat. And so I'm sitting out in the water, you know, skis up, tips up, you know, holding onto the tow rope, and Colleen's sitting there just taking little pictures. You're doing great, honey. You're going to do great. And then I see her just go, oh, 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 oh. And she starts doing this, oh, oh, and I'm like, what, 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 what is happening? And she just goes, watch out, watch out. I'm sitting in the water bobbing, waiting to get for the boat to go. She goes, watch out, watch out. And I'm like, what, what? And over my right shoulder, 10 yards away, a gray dorsal fin comes up. And literally, she is white as a ghost, and, 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 and she's like, Tim! And I'm like, Poppy Florent! And Poppy floors it, and I literally pop out of my skis, holding the tow rope. And he drags me about 30 yards, apparently, underwater until I just let go. And I come up gasping, and he circles around. I climb up the ladder into the back of the boat. God's like, get in, get in! Oh, look, it's a dolphin! <laughs> that is so cute! She starts... That was the moment... I knew I'm either going to marry that girl or throw her overboard. This is it. Sometimes, what we fear the most, what we think is going to kill us, is a gift in disguise. Jonah throws himself into the middle of the storm and, whoa, the lights go out. Down into the depths. The fish takes him to the bottom of the ocean. But it's not payback. It's grace. It's a gift. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside this fish for three days and three nights. Guys, without the fish, Jonah would have drowned. Instead of killing him with the storm, God saves him with a fish. And that's a word of hope to those of you overwhelmed by your situation. What seems like it will kill you, God can use to save you. The question is, will you trust God's intentions like Jonah did? When he jumped into the sea, it was an act of faith. It was Jonah throwing himself into the storm of God's wrath and trusting that there was love under the waves. That's what true faith is. It says, no matter how dark my life becomes, how bad a situation gets, there's love under the waves. My heavenly Father will have grace for me. Do you know why God, some of you, it's not always, do you know why God allowed your relationship to unravel? or to lose your job over that, or your finances to tank, because he loves you, and he's jealous for you, and he wants you to actually trust him and nothing else. It's not to pay you back, it's to bring you back.
The big fish is a blessing in disguise. What seems like it will kill you, God can use to save you. We know that not just because of Jonah, but because of what Jonah represents. See, Jesus Christ saw great significance in the big fish story. In Matthew 12, people asked Jesus to show them a sign. He said, I'm not going to give you any sign except the sign of Jonah. And Jesus said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Say it together. And now one greater than Jonah is here. In other words, Jonah is a sign pointing to Jesus. Every Jew knew the Old Testament story of the big fish. And Jesus said, and now one greater than Jonah is here. In other words, on the cross, what happened on the cross when Jesus died? The son was throwing himself into the storm of God's wrath. And because of that, you can have peace with God. The storm is now over. Jesus was killed so you could be saved. Jesus was literally buried three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. He was cut off from God. That's hell. We say that in the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell, into the depths of the earth. Why? Because there's love under the waves. It was to save you. And now one greater than Jonah is here. God isn't trying to kill you with this. He's not trying to punish you with this. He's trying to save you through this. So you'll turn to his son, a savior. He actually says, I can redeem all the consequences you've had. I can actually pay for your sin, and because of Christ, you can have a fresh start. When you have simple trust in the mercy and grace of God, oh my goodness, what happens? It begins flooding into your entire life. If you are here today, and you're like wondering, you're like, oh my goodness, this is speaking to me. I, I feel like I've run too far. This is how God treats runners. <laughs> With mercy, not punishment. With radical grace, not guilt. God doesn't give you what you deserve. That's the gospel. Rather, he gives you what you need. Love, forgiveness, correction. How do you get that grace? Just follow Jonah's example. What did Jonah do? What did Jonah do to get grace, an ocean of grace? He confessed his sin. <laughs> he took ownership. He didn't, he didn't deflect or blame anybody. He was a Ninevites. I didn't. He said, this is my fault. There is nobody else responsible. And then he threw all of his trust into the grace of God. He didn't rely on his self-righteousness. Oh, well, you know what? Jesus, I'm, I'm sort of better than the Ninevites. He acknowledged, I'm no better than the Ninevites. And then he trusted God to save both of them. That's the miracle of chapter one. Instead of being killed by a storm, God saves him with a fish. He intercepts Jonah's path to self-destruction, not to pay him back. It's not to pay you back, guys. It's to bring you back. Your heavenly father wants to restore his plan and his purposes to your life. And Jesus says, now one greater than Jonah is here. Christ was killed so that you could be saved and restored to the love of your father. I don't know what kind of storm you're facing this morning. All of our campuses, everyone has a different issue, a different story. But could you believe that perhaps, just perhaps, the thing you're going through is the very thing God has ordained in love to draw you back to him. It doesn't matter what kind of storm. It could be the storm of guilt, the storm of addiction, the storm of infidelity, the storm of weakness. You feel weak or inadequate for what God's calling you to. Whatever it is, Jesus Christ alone can calm that storm inside with his grace. Trust him. 
That's the, that's the message of Jonah. Trust him. There's love beneath those waves. You can run from God, but you can never outrun the Father. You'd never outrun the Father. There's purpose behind your pain today. And this is God throwing you a lifeline. The Bible actually says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, anybody? Saved. You'll be saved. Faith is just coming clean about what God already knows about you and believing that there's grace under the waves. I want to give all our campuses a chance to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Bow our heads. Give you time to talk to God. If you're turning to God, if you're saying, Father, I need that that love, just confess your sin. Confess your weakness. It's okay. God has compassion for you. Father, right now as a church, we confess that we are weak and fragile creatures. Lord, we confess our weakness. We are tossed back and forth within, without. This morning, I ask, would you just cover your people in the ocean of your grace? It is so deep and wide, Father God. Let us feel your love lifting us up, Father. All our heads bowed. If you're facing a storm this morning, you need need to know God is with you. Would you raise your hand? You're like, I need to know God is with me in this storm, that he can carry me through this. Say, hands over there. Hands over there. We're going to pray for you. Just shoot your hand up. Say, that's... Father, see these hands. These are your children reaching up to you. Jesus Christ, would you reach down? You say, all who seek you will find you. Father, reach down in the midst of the storm. Calm the storm inside. Let there be peace, Father. Let them know that your blood is the ocean of grace in which we make our stand. Father, we receive that right now. We worship you in grace. We worship you in truth. Thank you for being our Savior. I ask today that every person here would leave encouraged, filled in a new way with your eternal love. We ask that in the name of Jesus, all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com. Or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.